right, good morning. It's great to see you guys. Thanks for joining us online today. Really grateful that you are here. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 this morning. Chapter 4 and 5. So if you need a Bible, there should be one in the uh, chair right in front of you. Um, And while you're turning there, let me just invite you, if you have not already been invited, let me invite you to come to Israel with us June 5 to 15. Why am I inviting you now? It is, uh, what is this, February the 7th, 6th, somewhere in there? Yeah, I've lost track of days. Why am I inviting you now? Two reasons. One, typically these trips are completely full by now. However, Israel requires a vaccination, which makes Texans like, no, I'm not going to Israel. Why? Oh, so here's the deal. If you want to go and you are vaccinated, this is the time to sign up. And the reason is you're going to be in country with fewer people on a smaller tour, and it's going to be amazing. Um, the vaccination piece is definitely required by Israel. There's no way around it. Uh, but if you're good with that and would like to go, you can sign up and you need to sign up now though. And so inside the worship guides, uh, there are flyers. You can go to barry.church slash events, find out all the information uh, that you need uh, to go. This is a trip in 2006. I went for the first time with somebody else. It completely And totally changed my walk with Jesus, not because of where we were, but because uh, because of learning and understanding the Bible through the Eastern context. And uh, it's really important for every disciple of Jesus. So I'm inviting you, uh, half of you, to come uh, with me. So, all right. Got past that. Uh, Revelation chapter 4 and five. So today we're going to make a shift. If you've been here for the past few weeks, you know, we, we launched into uh, the seven churches. We did three of them. And now we begin to make a shift, which is the bulk of the book of Revelation. And what I'm going to title as the new Exodus. So there is this parallel between Revelation and all that happens in the book of Revelation and how God brought the people of Israel out of bondage in the book of Exodus. He brings them out of bondage through judgment into promise. And that's the same thing we're going to see in the book of Revelation, that God is bringing his people out of the bondage and brokenness of the world through judgment and into the final promised land. Today, we have an exciting passage of scripture because we're going to get a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. Honestly, I don't have any maps or illustrations because I haven't been to tour it yet, but we have a really good Really good description. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to read all of Revelation chapter 4 and 5. It's um, a lengthy passage, so hang with me. And at the end of the, the, the scripture reading, we say this phrase, the very words to distinguish God's word from my own. We begin in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. 
At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had an appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and round the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Round the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and with and within and day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, Lord. And God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. As though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God. They shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying in a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Be seated.
This should be easy. There's a lot here. And I want to walk us through this and make uh, a couple of clear observations. Remembering that revelation is not a code to be cracked. All right. This is a message revealed to us that we would understand what is to come. In fact, in verse one, as this whole thing begins, it says after this, it is a, it's a Greek phrase, metatauta. And this is really important because the question is, becomes really quickly like after what, right? After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Some scholars have said this after this is 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 making a break and saying this everything that happens after this is uh after the church has been sort of raptured taken out and now everybody else is going to go through this other stuff and i'm just going to tell you uh to the best of my theological understanding that there is not enough in meta tauta after these things to say the church gets raptured or taken out of the world to be with Jesus in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. There's not enough there. Even when you look at all through the scriptures, not enough there. So I think after these things is really about after the things that the churches have been taught and they must live out in the context of what is to come. Now, he sees a door standing open in heaven. And the awesome thing about today is that we're going to get a glimpse into heaven through John's eyes. If, if you're new, the book of Revelation is a vision given to the apostle John, the disciple John, from Jesus that he might tell the church of Jesus Christ the things that are to come. And that's what we're uh, seeing today. So verse 1, again, he says, I will show you the things that must take place now there is a lot that's going to take place over these next weeks even today there's a lot that's going to take place and if you're sort of taking notes and trying to organize this in your head you might want to organize it into episodes of seven so you have seven churches and then you have seven seals of the scroll you have seven trumpets that announce like these global shifts you have seven bowls of wrath that are judgments all before this final Final restoration of all things. Now, Revelation chapter 4 and 5 answers a huge question, a big question. This is the answer that, or the question that we have to answer today. And the question is, who is worthy to implement all these things that must come? Who is worthy to do this? Because if you read the book of Revelation, there's some things that are incredible and there are some things that are awful, some things that are terrible. And so who is worthy to orchestrate all this? And it's actually the answer to this question that allows us to trust God through this. It gives us hope through this. It it allows us to have strength as we look at things in the context of Scripture in the form of judgment that are horrific. Now, two observations, one in Revelation chapter 4 and one in Revelation chapter 5. The big observation of Revelation chapter 4 is that God is the sovereign creator of the universe and the clear focus of heaven and earth. God is the sovereign creator of the universe and the clear focus 
of heaven and earth. Now, instantly we jump into the throne room of heaven. If you look at verse two, it says that once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow and that had the appearance of an emerald. Now, it's interesting. Also, the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament, chapter, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, has a vision of this same uh, presence of God. And it says, and above the expanse over the heads, there was the likeness of a throne. In appearance like sapphire and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw it, it were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire and there was brightness around him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. So both John and Ezekiel have this vision, this picture of the throne room of heaven and see one, uh, which would be called in the Old Testament, one like the ancient of days, the most holy God seated on this throne and the only way they can describe it is brilliant jewels brilliant light brilliant rainbow like colors and the response is clear both times ezekiel and then also as as you'll see from john i fell on my face when i heard the one speaking this is holy 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 is the lord god Almighty. Now around the throne, it says there were 24 other thrones. So imagine the most high God seated on the throne around that throne, 24 other thrones and seated on these thrones were 24 elders. They're described as being in white garments and having victory crowns. Now, who are they? And it's a big debate as to who they are. You're going to get my view of who they are. These are human representatives. They are elders that are now purified by Christ, such as having white garments and victory crowns. They ran the race that was set before them, and they are seated round the throne of God. Also, we see lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder. Look at verse uh, five. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings, peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Now these lightnings, these rumblings, these peals of thunder, you see that in other places in scripture. The, the first time we see it pretty big is Exodus chapter 19, 16 and 17. And this is when Moses goes up the mountain to Sinai to get the law of God, the Torah, the 613 commands, the word of God. So lightning, peals of thunder. We see it again in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the people. Lightning, peals of thunder, tongues of fire. Same thing here when we go before the throne of God. We see lightnings and rumblings and peals of fire. 
there are seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And we've already learned in the, in the study of the, the seven churches that these seven torches are the seven spirits of God. It represents the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So now we have the Father seated on the throne, and we have the Holy Spirit round the throne in in symbolic way as seven torches of fire. Then there are four living creatures. What do you think of when you think of a creature? <laughs> right? That instantly connotates something like that came from slime that bubbles up and then it's like part of the zombie apocalypse or something crazy like that. But creature, the word, it actually just means created. Something that was created by God. And, and all this description of these creatures doesn't help. Seven eyes and all this kind of stuff. You're like, what is that? That is not human. It is not. It is not. It's something supernatural, but created by God. And these four living creatures never cease to say. I mean, their, their purpose is to proclaim the glory of God. They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In fact, around the throne, the elders and the living creatures, their, their purpose is, is worship. It's con- they are constantly in the form of praise, constantly answering the question, who is worthy to make all of this stuff that's going to happen at the end or the beginning, however you want to look at it, futuristically in the book of revelation who is worthy and they're answering it holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come the elders is say before the throne they fall down before god this is also why i believe that they're human they fall down before god and they worship him and they take these victors crowns and they cast their crowns before him and they say worthy are you o lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created Again, the elders, the four living creatures, this glimpse that we're getting is showing us the creator God is the one with the authority to restore all things and he can do it the way he sees fit. He's the only one that can do it. And my argument would be he does it in a way that people will understand not in a code cracking way but he does it in the in a similar way that he did leading the people out of bondage in exodus out of bondage to egypt through judgment plagues and into what was the promised land israel for us it will be that new heaven and new earth now all of that that i just said this seems so foreign how how foreign does that seem it's, it's unbelievable. This, everything described to this moment in chapter four, this is the present heaven. This is, if you died and went to heaven right now, this is what's going on. As sure as you're sitting in that seat, this is what is going on. Right? You have just gotten a glimpse of the glory of God. We don't know everything about it, but in Revelation chapter 4, we get this glimpse of the holiness of God. And it's obvious that the whole focus is on him. 
And it's going on right now. Now, Revelation chapter 5 makes a second observation. We're answering the question, who is worthy to implement the things that are to come? First, we know, you know, it's God. He's the sovereign creator of the universe and the clear focus of heaven and earth. But in Revelation chapter 5, we see Jesus is the worthy redeemer and the focus of heaven and earth. So this is a very Trinitarian picture. We've already got the Father. We've already got the, the, the Holy Spirit in the form of seven torches. Revelation chapter 5 is going to give us the Son. Jesus. And Jesus is the worthy redeemer and the focus of heaven and earth. Now look at Revelation chapter 5 verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So God the Father is holding in his right hand, which is of importance, a scroll within and and on the back, written within and on the back. In other words, it's got writing on both sides, which is weird. It's got writing on both sides, and it's sealed with seven seals. Let's talk about the scroll. It it tells us that whatever this scroll is, whatever it contains, is held in the right hand of the Father, which uh, of any king, this is the important hand. And of the most high God, this is of most importance. So whatever the message is in the content of this scroll, it is so important, and it originates from God the Father. So so this is what we are, we know about the scroll. It's in the right hand of the father. It's got writing on both sides, which tells us that there is a lot there, if nothing else, that, that he has much to say, much to convey. And the message is very important. It is sealed with seven seals. So in the Roman context, we know that a testament or a testimony is sealed with seven seals by seven witnesses before it can be legally established. So whatever is in this scroll, whatever the message is, it has been sealed with seven seals and it is legally established. So this is, this is happening. What's in this scroll? It is bound to be true. This is what the seven seals tell us. Now, a big question comes very quickly. It says, verse two, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice this question. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Apparently, just no one can go get this scroll and open it up. But There is at least symbolically this search, verse 3, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and to look into it. This just tells us in the heavenlies, on the earth, under the earth is actually that picture of Sheol. There is no one or hell would be our, our, our language for it, Hades. There is no one anywhere worthy to open the scroll. No one good enough. And in and, and verse 4, it shows you John getting caught up in this vision. It says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. He's gutturally weeping because he, he, we need to know what's in that scroll. It's of utmost importance. It's sealed. It's, it's law. It's happening. What's in there? And nobody's worthy to open the scroll. And it's a, it's a, it's a devastating thought to him. Verse 5, it says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. 
Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the seals. And this is where we begin to see, this is like enter Jesus in this throne room picture. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Hebrews echo, the book of Hebrews echoes this. He, he came from the tribe of Judah. This is his lineage. This is his tribe as a man. He is the root of David. He comes from the line and lineage of David, just as Isaiah said that he would, and he has conquered. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his, his root shall bear fruit. Isaiah 11, verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for all the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious, right? So all of this has been prophesied. And what we're learning of Jesus here in Revelation chapter five is that he is worthy because he matches the description of the Messiah one he's the line of the tribe of judah he's the root of david and he has conquered he has won the victory now you continue what you find is that jesus is also described as a lamb a lamb so he's the lion of the tribe of judah the root of jesse but a lamb and the word for lamb in greek here is arnion which is is a young lamb. This is important. To understand this isn't just some old worn out sheep. This is a young lamb because it brings to mind all the thoughts of Passover in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, what we find is that the people of Israel are in bondage to Egypt. God sends Moses to to recommend harshly to Pharaoh to let the people of God go. Pharaoh says no, and the plagues, the judgments ensue. The final plague is a plague that we refer to looking back as, as, as actually we celebrate looking back as a grace of God to his people, not as the Passover. In that plague, every firstborn in Egypt was killed unless they had the blood of a young lamb over their doorframe. And then the Lord passed by and they were graced by the blood of the lamb. And this becomes the picture all through the old Testament, the gathering in the tabernacle in the temples, they sacrifice young lambs for the, the atonement of their sin. And then Jesus, John the Baptist says of Jesus, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the earth as he ushers him into his ministry. And then Jesus is crucified on the days they are sacrificing Passover lambs. He is the lamb who was slain. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now, the lamb here in, in Revelation chapter 5, he just goes to the throne and takes the scroll. Have you noticed that? Like, nobody's worthy that people are falling on their face, casting crowns, worshiping the lamb. He, he doesn't fall on his face. The lamb just walks up and takes the scroll, which confirms his deity. There is no way 
he walks up and takes the scroll apart from being deified himself, apart from being God himself. And when the living creatures and the, and the elders see Jesus, they fall down before Jesus. It says they have harps and incense. And the incense, so there's music and worship. And the incense, this is you, people. The incense are the prayers of the saints. Think about this. Did you get up this morning? Did you fall on your face and offer prayers through Jesus to the most high God? Somehow, in heaven, this goes from your, wherever you were praying, into, and it becomes like incense, an aroma to God right into his throne room. You think, I haven't prayed in years. Imagine what is happening when you pray to God. Now, verses 8 to 10, it tells us uh, this. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. They worship him, each holding a harp, golden bowls full of incense and the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. Here's what we learn about Jesus. You were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God, people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You made them a kingdom of priests and they shall reign on the earth. In this one song, we're hearing everything that Jesus did that makes him worthy. He was slain. He was crucified. His blood was a ransom and he ransomed people for God. He delivered them from the clutches of the enemy in the kingdom of darkness. He paid this price with his blood that was so great that it was like paying a ransom and brought them out of bondage into a right relationship with God. He did this not for just anyone, but for every people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So when you think about heaven, it won't be like this, where we primarily speak one language and primarily come from one region of the world, but it will be filled with every tribe, nation, language, tongue. He did it for all of them and they shall reign on earth. I think this is a a allusion to what is to come a millennial reign where the, the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ rule and reign with Jesus. Verse 13, if you're John have, having this vision, you, you've got to be thinking to yourself, like right now, this could probably not get any better. This worship thing, if you thought this morning's been great, wow. And it does, it only gets better. Verse 13, imagine this. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And he, and the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped him. So can you imagine how heaven hears every creature worshiping Jesus? answering the question you know when you're singing songs you're answering the question who is worthy to make all the rest of the book of revelation happen who is worthy to, to who can we trust to do this the right way even as bad as some of it looks can we trust him can we have strength can we have joy in him and yes we can and we worship him because he's the only one worthy jesus is worthy He's majestic. 
He is the answer to the question, who is worthy to implement what comes next? And he's going to open these seven seals one by one by one. I want to ask you a question. Is your Jesus like that? N.T. Wright, the theologian, has a quote that really stuck with me this week. It says, sadly, there are many Christians who think of Jesus purely in terms of their own comfort and hope. He has rescued us. He is with us as a friend. And who fail completely to see the sheer scope of his majesty, the sweep of his glory. Many rest content to have Jesus around the place for particular spiritual purposes, but continue to assign riches, power, glory, and the rest to earthly forces and rulers. What we learn in Revelation chapter 4, verse 5, is that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the only one worthy. That he, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is the focus of heaven and earth, even when the people of the earth don't recognize it. And all these things that we're getting ready to talk about, how Jesus will deliver people from bondage and brokenness of this world through judgments to the final promised land all of this is to be done according to the will of the father by the worthiness of jesus i just think maybe our lives indicate a smaller jesus than that What do you think? Perhaps, perhaps it's time to consider the lion of the tribe of Judah. Perhaps it's time to consider the root of David, the lamb who was slain. I mean, perhaps it's time to ascribe the glory to his name. And I don't just mean gathering here to sing. I mean, ascribing to him the glory due his name in your walk with him. In my walk with him, understanding that all that we've seen of heaven, all that we've seen of Jesus, all that we've seen of the Father, all that we've seen of the Spirit is in actuality present tense reality. And a better day is coming. But we're going to go out of brokenness through judgment into promise. See, The good news is you can trust Jesus through all of it. There are many scholars, many theorists, many ideas about what parts will we go through and what parts will we not have to. And that's what those things are. They're scholarship. They're ideas. What we know, what is revealed to us, is we can trust the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain to open the seals. He's still the God who so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You can trust him with all the rest of revelation. 
You can trust him for the day that you die. You can trust him for today. (laughs) Because everything you see here in Revelation 4 and 5 is present tense reality. Problem is we make Jesus really, really small in America. We do. Generally speaking, we do. Ascribe to him the glory due his name. He is worthy of that. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and spend some time reflecting, maybe praying. Lord Jesus, today we have received a word from you that you intend for us to have. It's clear. There's nothing fuzzy about it. There's no code to crack. It's revealed to us that you are the one worthy. And so we worship you. Forgive us when we've made you too small. Forgive us when we think that the the cares of the world are greater than the cares of heaven. When we've bowed our lives to the wrong people or things. Lord, when we've paid you lip service, but neglected to understand the fullness of your glory. Just reading about it blows our minds. I pray for my brothers and sisters, my friends, my family, all people that have heard this teaching in this moment. God, I pray that you would draw them near to you by your spirit. Jesus, I pray if they don't know you, that they would, you would call their name, that you would save their souls. Father, that you would awaken the church to pray that we would collectively now and individually as we go through our lives and work in the domains we work in and live in the neighborhoods that we live in, that we would ascribe to you daily the glory due your name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It's not like you. Receive our prayers, receive our worship. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.